Humane Nature is an animal tourism podcast with discussions about animal abuse, injury, and medicine. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, everybody, to Humane Nature. I am your host, Stacia. Thank you for joining me today. Um, So (laughs) I was a little late making this episode this week. Hopefully I can still get it out when I'm supposed to. The weather in Seattle has just been absolutely stunning, sunny and warm, and I've just been wanting to be outside. And, you know, my garden is also flourishing, so I've been taking care of my plants and just kind of snuggling with my cat and enjoying the weather. So my apologies for that. Uh, But let's get started with some some news for you guys. So uh, for some personal news, I finally visited the Woodland Park Zoo um, this last week in Seattle. I can't believe it has taken me. I've been here for almost a year. It took me that long to visit Woodland Park Zoo. It was my first time. And I will be writing an article on my experience there and whether I recommend it or not. And I will be posting that on my blog, Stumble Safari. So check that out. But I do want to talk about one really incredible thing that I saw while I was there. They had this really huge um, orangutan exhibit, which was really cool. And we got there, we were kind of like, huh, what is that orangutan doing up there? And we looked a little closer and he was kind of on a perch and he had a piece of chalk, like colored chalk, and he was just coloring on his his little um like balcony perch type thing and i had never seen that before and it was so incredible he was having the time of his life just coloring with this like bright pink chalk and obviously animal safe and everything but that was just so so cool to see and then my second little bit of news i mentioned last week about our new corn snake member of the family aglet she is adjusting very well and she is already shed twice i believe since we've gotten her she's already growing and getting so much bigger she's a great eater still loves to be handled and held and she's really amazing Okay, for some travel news for you guys, a Florida judge voided the mask mandate on public transportation, including airplanes, stating it exceeded the authority of the U.S. health officials. So the CDC is still recommending that passengers wear masks, but because of this void by this judge, many airlines, many, you know, metro systems, buses, you name it, are lifting their mask mandates. Some So some airlines are lifting mask mandates due to this decision, while others are keeping it in place as long as the CDC still has a mandate. So just follow the posted rules, guys. Um, if not having to wear a mask is really important to you, choose an airline that is not requiring it. Don't roll number one. Don't be that asshole. Don't try to uh, argue about not wearing a mask on some mode of transportation that's still requiring it. Second of all, uh, we have here, Australia has lifted the ban on cruise ships. This ban has lasted two years due to the pandemic, and it is finally being lifted, allowing cruises to come back um, around Australia and to deboard to Australia. And 
they're finally letting tourists in as well. So this ban on cruise ships alone has cost Australia nearly $7 billion in tourist money over the last two years. But wildlife in the water has flourished so from the lack of cruise ships. So there are a lot of mixed reactions from lifting this ban, myself included. Uh, you guys know how I feel about cruises. But and, and the Great Barrier Reef and everything needs to be protected at all costs. But if you are a fan of cruises, you can now cruise back over to Australia. We have a couple of wildlife news points as well. 80 critically endangered spotted tree frogs have been released in, oh, I forgot to look up the pronunciation of this. Kosciusko, sorry, <laughs> National Park, K-O-S-C-I-U-S-Z-K-O, National Park in Australia. The species was nearly wiped out by the 2019-2020 bushfires. So you guys remember uh, so much happened in 2020, but early 2020, like January, February, um, we, they had those massive bushfires, devastating bushfires in Australia. And this species went nearly extinct because of them. There were only about 10 individual frogs that survived. So it is really amazing that they were just able to release 80 of these tree frogs back into that area. Um, if they, they've been breeding in captivity and they're going to continue um, to manage them in captive breeding projects, but they just released 80 back into their area after it has recovered from these fires. And UK's largest sand bank, called Dogger Bank, has been given protection from bottom trawling. So bottom trawling involves weighted nets being dragged across the seabed. It has been proven to be very environmentally destructive. So it, this is really great that this um, huge sand bank has been given protection from this. So bottom Trawling has tripled in occurrence um, in this area since Brexit, and this new law protects species of sand eels, hermit crabs, flatfish, and starfish, and a lot of these are endangered as well. So it is really awesome that this area is now protected. Okay, so that was a little quick news segment today. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about from the last couple of weeks. But let's go ahead and get started on our topic for today. Um, I am going to be talking about one of my favorite AZA zoos as a destination highlight, Mesker Park Zoo and Botanical Gardens in Evansville, Indiana. And this is where I grew up, so I may be a little bit biased on that. Just wanted to give you guys a heads up. But I grew up visiting this zoo. I love the zoo. I even worked there for a while um, when I was in high school, so... It's really great. And it's it's still pretty small because Evansville's not the biggest city in the world and, you know, in Indiana. But the zoo is really cute and, and really well maintained. And if you are ever in the area, which a lot of people drive through the area, uh, southern Indiana is kind of nicknamed the Crossroads of America because and basically anybody who's ever been on a road trip in that part of the country has driven through or over Evansville, Indiana on the many highways that goes go over it. So if you ever find yourself in or around Evansville during like a, you know, pit stop on a Midwest, uh, you know, great Midwest road trip, if that was the word, road trip, um, 
Mesker Park Zoo is a is a really great place to to burn a couple of hours and stretch your legs out. So the history of the zoo, it first opened in 1928 in Evansville, Indiana, with an elephant, two lion cubs, a few antelope, and various farm animals. It is Indiana's first zoo, which is really, really cool. It is older um, than Indianapolis Zoo, uh, which is a really amazing zoo as well. Maybe I'll cover that one at some point. But yeah, Indiana's first zoo. So it's pretty, pretty old and, and very well established. Um, it was originally a lion pit, so not great. I didn't know this. It was a lion pit in a picnic area until George Mesker donated $25,000 to build the zoo in 1916. So $25,000 in 1916 was, you know, a lot more than $25,000 now. Bell and Brutus, the two lion cubs, were donated from the American Circus American Circus Association, um, and they were the first main attraction at the zoo. They were quickly followed by a black bear donated from the Denver Zoo and Kay, the Asian elephant, in 1929. Uh, the Mesker Park Zoo created one of the first barless bear exhibits in the country, which later became the standard after being utilized by Mesker Park. So the Although Musker is fairly small, um, back in the early stages of zoos in the United States, they did establish a lot of current standards. So that's really, really cool. Uh, they were also one of the first zoos to use a moat system to display animals in a more natural way. So if you've ever seen, especially primate exhibits, they do it a lot with primates. They do it a lot with, um, I've seen them do it with gorillas and, and other primate species. Um where they have a very naturalistic exhibit surrounded by a pretty big moat of water and then um, viewing platforms or whatever that you can see the animals, but they will not cross that moat area so that they are not in like barred cages. So Mesker was one of the first zoos um, ever to use this kind of moat system. And they did it by using a unique one-third ratio um, concrete scale of Christopher Columbus's Santa Marina ship to house 20 racist monkeys. The boat is still there as kind of, um, you know, just to look at and, and read up on the history of it, but it no longer houses any animals. The um, concrete ship was starting to fall into disrepair. Um, over time, it just became really difficult for the zoo to clean and difficult to maintain. So the animals are no longer in there. The boat is still there. For a while, when I was a kid, they would fill the moat with water and they would have like um, little bumper boats that you could... Um, ride and play in around around the ship which was really fun but I'm not entirely sure if they do that anymore um Mesker Park Zoo is also has also received international renown for its ingenuity creativity and topographical use of space so one thing you will notice whenever you visit is it's really good about using the land that it's on um using the hills that it's there that's there um to their advantage and all that great stuff. Um, it now has over 700 animals on 45 acres. And the zoo is beautiful. The 45 acres are extremely well maintained. There's a really beautiful lake kind of in the center of it. Um, for kind of a, you know, just relaxing walk around the lake. I used to love just walking around that lake. Mesker first became AZA accredited in 1985. But lost its accreditation in 1998. And then regained it in 2002. So they are 
ACA accredited now, um, and you can lose accreditation. Um, if you listen to my episode, my last episode from two weeks ago, I talked all about, oh, hey, Loki. <laughs> I don't know if you could hear him. Um, I talked all about the difference between an AZA accredited zoo and a roadside zoo. So you can lose AZA accreditation because um, by not following their updated practices and they do check on these um, their zoos every five years to make sure that they're following them. Mesker was also in danger of losing its accreditation back in 2016 due to park maintenance concerns. Um, the zoo director at the time said that the zoo belongs to the city and therefore relies heavily on city funds for these projects, but money is often not available. Uh, so they did not lose accreditation in 2016, and it is very important to note that animal care never suffered. So maintenance issues were like um, pathways kind of becoming cracked over time or like uh, some of the barns, like the roof was falling apart, but not in a way that was dangerous for the animals inside, that kind of stuff. So that was not up to par for the AZA, but the zoo did not have the money um, since it does belong to the city and they rely on tax dollars um, given to them, allocated to them from the city. So a good way for them to fix this issue, fix this funding issue, is to become privatized, um, which is something that they have talked about and relying solely on um, donations and memberships and um, ticket sales to maintain their zoo. Um, but there is some concern that they wouldn't quite make enough from that alone without help from the city, which they would not receive if they went private. So, um, that is something that's kind of up in the air right now, and they're, you know, debating whether or not um, that's the direction that they want to go. The current exhibits of the zoo, um, they're pretty cool. The sections of zoo are divided by geography, like many zoos are. So there's a South America, and Africa, North America, Asia, and Australia sections. So some notable exhibits. My absolute favorite exhibit is called Amazonia. And as the name implies, it is a big building um, with various Amazon rainforest, plant, and animal species. So the depending on where you enter the building, um, it takes you through each level of the Amazon rainforest from up in the treetops where you'll find like parrots and sloths and things like that down um, to the rainforest floor where you, you'll see tapirs, capybaras, howler monkeys, like all this other stuff. Um, recently, there jaguar just passed away like within the last month i believe um, as of recording this it was the oldest ever jaguar in captivity at 16 years old and she passed away from cancer so um i think they they ended up um humanely euthanizing her um just because she had gotten so sick but Mesker does have a really big history of animals living well past their life expectancy at the zoo um from the top of my head, I remember a um, their hippo, a tapir, and a rhino all living, and, and, and this jaguar recently, all living well past their life expectancy um, that I've seen, you know, going there as, as a guest and as a volunteer later in my life. And um, 
they they really do put a lot of care and a lot of passion for these animals. Mesker also has a Chilean penguin house. This is the newest exhibit, and I have not seen it yet, but I've heard really great things. There is Rupert the Rhino, who has this really massive, beautiful exhibit um, where he's got a ton of enrichment, and Rupert really enjoys painting. So an episode I will do later on on the podcast is elephant painting and why that's a very dangerous thing and why we should avoid that. But this um, rhino painting is very different than... um, touristy elephant paintings they basically just give him a big canvas and they splot some like you know clumps of paint on it and he uses his horn and he really enjoys smearing the paint around with his horn and his upper lip and he makes these really funny paintings and they sell those paintings often or donate them um in order to raise money for the zoo. So um, I was not lucky enough to ever get a Rupert the Rhino painting, but I do, I'm looking at it right now. I have a painting um, done by one of the rats um, that are part of the education department um, hanging up on my desk. So I was gifted that by the zoo um, back when when I was working there. They also have Lake Victoria um, that I mentioned before, this really beautiful um, lake area. It often has ducks and turtles and other, you know, natural wildlife. Um, And in the summertime, they also have paddle boats out there, which is really, really fun. They have an African panorama uh, with outlooks over an open savanna, which is really fun. So that has, you know, lions and giraffes and zebras and um camels and and different animals like that um they also have the clay building k-l-e-y and named after someone named clay (laughs) so not clay like the building material um and this used to house like uh it is the indoor area for the rhino in case of bad weather or they're cleaning out the outdoor exhibit um but now it it has that downstairs It, it also used to have the um the hippo but the rhino um rupert is enjoying the hippos old area as well um but the building is also home to komodo dragons they have this really big beautiful komodo dragon exhibit where they did have a uh, breeding project and i got to see the very first komodo dragons that they got as babies grow up into these big beautiful adults Um, and so they do have a breeding program there for komodo dragons and they have a really cool nocturnal room where it's nice and cool and dark in there great to go when you're trying to escape the summer heat in indiana um, and see some of the nocturnal animals in there So as an AZA zoo, they are required to have conservation projects going on. That is one of the requirements um, of being an AZA zoo that, as we learned from my last episode. So their current product, (laughs) I can't talk today, current projects as of recording this, which is, um, it's April 20th, 2022, um, the Eastern Hellbant hellbender salamander breeding and conservation so the eastern hellbender is the largest salamander in north america they're so cool um i had never even heard of these before i saw this um, breeding program at mascar but what they started doing was uh, collect wild eggs and then release the salamanders once they are big enough to avoid most predators um this is a a very very 
highly endangered um, salamander in the U.S. And actually, the first ever captive bred hellbenders happened at Mesker. So Mesker was successful in um, captively breeding these salamanders, which is really, really huge. They work with Indiana and Purdue universities to release these salamanders in Indiana's Blue River, um, where before this um, conservation product project, I keep wanting to say product, conservation project, there were only a few hundred individuals left. So this is a really big deal. And while the exhibit itself is not the most exciting thing, if you're there to see, you know, animals, um, they have a ton of information about the hellbenders and they have some um, on exhibit so you can kind of see what they look like. And they're really, really cool. They also have a Mexican gray wolves recovery plan. Um, so they work with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service by providing advice and assistance with behavioral and husbandry intervention as needed across the country. So the Mexican gray wolf is the most endangered wolf species in the world. So not just in the U.S., in the world. And uh, puppies have been born at Mesker. So little wolf pups. And I was there for that. That was amazing. So they do have a captive breeding program at Mesker and they have Mexican gray wolf um, experts working at Mesker and who are on call 24-7 to provide um, advice and assistance both virtually and by going out and helping all over the country um, when they're needed. They also have various species survival plans through breeding programs and they did not have them all listed online. Um, I did reach out to Mesker and I have not heard back from them about how all of their um, survi species survival plan um, species. So if they uh, do get back to me, I will update this. But as of right now, um, the Francis Lang uh, Langer, Sitatunga Taken, or Taken, however you pronounce it, African Crested Porcupine, Colobus Monkey, and Lesser Tenric all have species survival plans at, and breeding programs at Mesker. And I do believe I've seen, and then also um, the Komodo dragons and the Me Mexican gray wolves, of course. They also have outreach programs and educational events throughout the year that helps with conservation product, projects. All right, so let's go to a break. Um, I can maybe sip some water and stop saying products instead of projects. <laughs> uh, but uh, we will be right back and I will talk about my experiences there as both a guest and a working volunteer. And I also have some um, kind of a smaller topic about a uh, listener question um, that was sent to me. As a frequent traveler, the number one question I get from others is how I manage to find affordable flights around the world. My answer? Skyscanner. Skyscanner searches through multiple airlines to find you the best deal. But what makes it different from other platforms? If you are flexible on your days, you have the option to select cheapest month to truly find the most affordable flight. Fixed dates but flexible on your destination? Select everywhere and find the most affordable destinations for your time. My favorite way to find affordable flights is by selecting both cheapest month and everywhere. That way I could find some incredibly affordable flights from my home airport and discover some new destinations I never thought I would explore. 
Start planning your next vacation for free with Skyscanner using the link in the description. If you're a frequent traveler, you need a travel credit card that works for you. I love my Chase Sapphire Preferred card because I earn miles by making my everyday purchases in two to five times the miles on travel purchases. I can book flights for a discount directly through the Chase app using the miles I have earned, allowing me to fly for free. Earn 50,000 miles when you sign up through the link in the description and even more bonus miles after spending $4,000 in the first three months of your card. That's over $2,000 worth of travel miles. Where will you fly for free with your miles? Welcome back and thank you for listening to those. As a reminder, neither of these companies are sponsoring this episode, meaning they are not giving me money to promote them. However, they are affiliate programs of mine, which means that I personally use and love these um various companies and products and if you click on the link in the description and um, use any of these services I do get a small commission from that so thank you for your support and that helps keep this podcast and my blog running so as a visitor at Mesker um, I already told you my favorite exhibit is Amazonia. So uh, let's, I'm just going to tell you a little bit more about Amazonia because it is amazing. I was there um, volunteering at the zoo when this building was um, built and, and opened. It is huge. It has an open floor plan that takes you through the different levels of the Amazon rainforest. So when I say huge, I mean huge. It is a 20,000 square foot greenhouse and it is at a constant 75 degrees because the Amazon rainforest is right on the equator, which means it doesn't experience seasons. Um, so when I was visiting Ecuador and I was on the equator in the Amazon rainforest, it um you kind of experience all of the seasons within a 24-hour period but during the day every single day it is about 75 degrees very humid um lots of rain and that's exactly what this greenhouse is for it helps keep in the humidity they have misters that go off um, in the exhibits kind of away from the pathways and it's it felt exactly how it felt in the amazon rainforest not gonna lie so uh, depending on which door you go through, you um, walk through either the canopy or the rainforest floor first and work your way up or down. It's just really amazing. And then there's also um, a little educational room in there where they'll often have events and keeper talks. And my favorite animal in there is probably the um, tapir, which I did get to see wild um, South American tapir when I was working in Ecuador, which I will um, talk to you guys about in a future episode. But yeah, Amazonia is by far my favorite exhibit at, at Mesker Park Zoo, and I highly encourage you to check that out. So throughout the zoo, uh, keepers are always excited to chat with you when they have time. And this is something I have especially noticed at Mesker. I don't know if it is the Midwest charm <laughs> where um, everybody's just super friendly and talkative and chatty and 
yeah, um, I don't always get that from other zoos that I visit, but keepers are always excited to chat with you if they're not currently rushing somewhere. So I remember the last time I visited, I sat and chat with the reptile keeper, um, the guy who covers most of the reptiles in, in the entire zoo. And he just sat and talked to me about the Komodo dragons for like a solid hour because he had time. And he was just so excited to talk about um, all these all these animals that he loves and, and physically takes care of and how they train them and some behind the scenes stuff. So that's really cool. The um, zoo also has a commissary building with a public kind of window so you can look in and watch them prepare the food for the various animals. Um, and they also have a little speaker so you can ask questions and the keepers who are doing it can chat with you while they do it. And that's always really, really fun if you can catch um, the keepers making the animals meals there. The zoo's events are always really fun. Uh, my favorite two are the Halloween, the big Halloween um, event that they have. They have like um, volunteers put on haunted houses. They have special education tables out. They're really cool. You know, costum costumes are always welcome and they hand out candy and it's just a really fun time, especially for kids. And in the spring, uh, um, actually early summer um, in May, they have a plant sale. So uh, it's actually Mesker Park Zoo and Botanical Gardens. So they have huge botanical areas if you're a plant fan um, and I am a new plant fan I was never really into plants growing up but I am now so I'm excited to go back to Mesker and check out all their plants <laughs> including and, and their animals um, but in May they sell a lot of these um, really cool exotic plants um, and some you know kind of normal house plants but lots of exotic flowers exotic plants um, at their um, plant sale, which is, I believe, always the first weekend in May. Um, but you can check that online. And um, that is a big fundraising event for the zoo. Um, but that is always really, really cool. Um, and I'm, I'm really bummed I'm not going to get to go this year. But if you're in the area, definitely check it out. And finally, the the walk around the zoo is just beautiful. Um, they utilize natural scenery. Um, a lot, I talked about the lake. They have um, kind of just swampland because uh, once upon a time, Southern Indiana was swamp, which is why it gets so crazy humid there in, in the summertime. But they utilize some of these natural swamps to filter water and, and um, invite some of the natural wildlife in the area to hang out so that's always really really cool uh, because they use a lot of southern indiana's natural topography in the park it is not super wheelchair accessible all of their roads are um, all the roads and paths are paved however there are some very very steep hills so if you have mobility issues um, i know they do allow motorized um, motorized wheelchairs if if that is how you get around and um, you would know better than I do if uh, your wheelchair can handle steep hills and they also have a zoo tram that you can take to get around if, if you have some um, trouble with the mobility with the steep hills which is you know they're pretty steep 
it can be hard sometimes. Um, but just throwing that out there, not the most accessible zoo I've ever been to. So let's talk about cost to visit. It's not too bad. Um, $11 per adult during season, and they consider adults 12 and over. $10 for kids um, ages 3 to 10, and children under 3 are free. So these are peak season um, costs, which is March through October. November through February, uh, you can knock off $2 from that cost. So $9 per adult, $8 per child, children under 3 are still free. They also have yearly memberships with a ton of perks. So if you live in the area, I highly recommend it. Um, $45 for one person or $65 for a couple. Um, they also have some deals for families. Um, this includes free admission, free tram rides, access to events, various discounts, and the big one, discounted or free admission to 172 other zoos and aquariums through the AZA Reciprocal Admissions Program. So if you are a member at um, Musker Park Zoo, you can get discounted or free admission to almost any other AZA zoo or aquarium in the country. And I do believe the same works if say you're a member at I'm just gonna throw one out I know Woodland Park Zoo in Seattle is AZA accredited um, so if you're a member there you may be able to get into Mesker Park free or at a discount as well they are open 365 days a year including holidays um, from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. their time <laughs> So working there as a volunteer. So I volunteered through the Zoo Teen program for two years when I was in high school um, from ages 16 to 18. So as a volunteer, I worked various events. I was kind of a junior counselor during summer camps and I did various behind the scenes care um, with their ambassador animals, which was my favorite part. Um, so the, the biggest chunk of volunteer time for Zoo Teens is Usually the summer camps, um, you're required to work summer camps and um, as, a, as a volunteer and you're kind of a junior counselor. So um, it can be a lot of work, really hot working with kids all day, uh, but it was very rewarding. You get to see a lot of behind the scenes stuff along with the campers that you're working with. And uh, but the most fun I had was definitely working events, especially the Halloween event and kind of just coming in and volunteering on the weekends um, by going out in the education building with ambassador animals. So they had like bearded dragons and um, a, a critically endangered Egyptian box tortoise, which was one of my favorites, um, different snakes, uh, rabbits, various birds things like that. So um, you get to hold these animals and help take care of them and go around and, and chat with zoo guests about whatever animal that you're holding. Adults can also volunteer in the docent program, uh, which is separate from the zoo teen program. So not the exact same program, but they often work together, um, especially um, in the the various events. So they're mostly run um, by the volunteers and by education through the ambassador animals. So as a volunteer, um, I did learn how various exhibits work um, behind the scenes and how to provide proper care and enrichment to various species, which did help um, 
if you're, you know, a high schooler listening to this, it did help me get into my school of choice for my undergraduate program. And it also helps a lot of people get into veterinary school or get into um, zookeeper programs um, after college if that's something that you're interested in. So I highly recommend um, if you cannot work at a zoo um, as a teenager, I highly recommend to volunteer um, through their various volunteer programs because every AZA zoo has one. Okay, so that's all I have about Mesker. However, I recently received a message from a listener. Um, she said, quote, anytime there is an announcement of a zoo animal dying, the feed blows up with how the animal should be let go in the wild. A topic could address that even deeper and include the typical ages for longevity in nature versus captivity. So thank you so much for that message. I did do some research into it um, using, you know, as I always do, literary research with uh, peer-reviewed studies and, um, you know, trustworthy websites and everything. I didn't find enough information for a full episode on this topic, so I thought I would include this on here. I'm um, just one episode after my AZA episode last week and um, talking about Mesker this week. So, um, a study in scientific reports, um, so that's what the publisher is called scientific reports um the study of more than 50 mammal species found that zoo animals live longer than their wild counterpart counterparts over 80 percent of the time in zoos versus in um the wild and this is specifically aza accredited zoos so we're not talking about roadside zoos we're not talking about unaccredited zoos um all carnivores that they examined lived longer in captivity than the wild um, however, and also, um, one thing to remember when animals in zoos die of diseases such as cancer or other old age illnesses, it is a sign of success. So often they will be humanely euthanized due to these illnesses because, um, they rarely live long enough in the wild to have cancer. Um, so that's kind of a morbid thing to talk about. Uh, but if you, you know, hear of an animal in the zoo dying of complications from cancer, complications from, you know, various other illnesses that are brought on by old age. So it could be kidney failure, liver failure, uh, different things like that. Um, technically that is a sign of success because they have, uh, you know, I always kind of like to joke around and say, you either die from an accident or live long enough to die of cancer. And that is a super morbid thing to say, but it's kind of true, right? Um, so everyone and everything dies eventually. So when these zoo animals uh, catch and are dying because of these old age illnesses, that's a sign of success on the zoo's part. Um, so like I said, all carnivores examined live longer in captivity than the wild. However, more of the big cats, ex especially exhibited behavioral problems in captivity. So this could be due to high stress. This could be due to, um, not enough space. There's just not enough, um, studies that have been done on this to really kind of point out the problem. So I said about 80% of, um, species, so this last 20% of the species, the reverse can also be true. So in, some, in a few species, there 
life expectancy in captivity is much lower than that of in the wild. So the effect of um, a longer life expectancy is more pronounced in smaller species with a faster pace of life, such as um, especially prey animals. So prey animals really, really live much longer lives. Um, but other species that do incredibly well in captivity, shockingly, um, I know ring-tailed lemurs are one. Um, various other primates do really, really well in captivity um, when done properly. And, um, you know, other large prey animals. However, larger, slower species with very few predators in the wild tend to live longer in the wild. For example, elephants, walruses, and moose all live longer overall in the wild than they do in captivity. So, zoos extend lifespans through protection from predators, food competition, and harsh climates. So, many of these larger animals that um, don't live longer in captivity are not um, going to be facing these same issues from predators, food competition, and climates. The lower life expectancy in large species is suspected to be due to earlier breeding ages. So um, in elephants especially, we see them attempting to breed much earlier in their life than they are in the wild. And we're not really sure why yet, um, but this is something that happens in zoos. They all also have much less space and higher stress in some cases. Um, and this is more prevalent in highly migratory animals. So animals that are highly migratory that need a lot, a lot, a lot of space that zoos can't always um, supply, um, especially with animals like elephants it always comes back to elephants um you know that that's the, probably the biggest um issue with both asian and african elephants being housed in zoos and um most of the studies of both asian and african elephants show a lower lifespan in zoos than in the wild due to their need to migrate but also tight social groupings that don't always work in the in zoos or being broken up if they're you know being bred or passed around in other zoos um and also very specific husbandry needs and i do dive into um asian elephant kind of husbandry and social needs in my my second episode so way early on um it is titled the truth about riding elephants in chiang mai thailand um go ahead and listen to that episode if you haven't already for more information on elephants specifically so this study um only points out or this study points out that the data um, for this study was only examined from animals who have already died and does not reflect recent advances in large mammal husbandry in zoos. And in the last maybe 10 years, these advances have been incredible. Um, in the last five, 10 years alone, we have seen zoos um, really, really push and do amazing things with their um, large mammals in captivity because they are they were realizing that um, especially the highly intelligent species such as elephants <laughs> going back to the elephants they do require really specific husbandry needs they require um, more they have more social needs they have they need more a lot more space than they used to be given um, so this um, study was published in 2016, and at that time, 
only examined animals who had already passed away. So um, I don't have data from cur like currently, I'm in 2022. So this was what, six years ago that this was published. Um, it could be vastly different now, but uh, AZA zoos are putting forth the, the money in order to research um, how to better these animals and how to provide better care and better husbandry for them in zoos. Um, overall, there are very few studies done on individual species um, comparing their lifespans in the wild versus their lifespans in captivity due to the difficulty difficulty of following animals in the field from birth to death because this is what you need to do to actually um, know how, exactly how old they are in the wild is is witness their birth follow them from birth until they pass away um, from natural causes especially this is especially difficult if they are long-lived like you guessed it elephants elephants can live a very very long time the oldest living elephant um, passed away in, I believe it was Taipei, um, in a zoo there at 86, but, um, and they can live this long in the, in the wild as well. They easily live past their sixties and, and can live well into their eighties in both in captivity and the wild. But you think about it, it's going to be really hard to follow that same elephant from its point of birth to its point of death. So that is why it is so difficult to study. And, you know, yeah, it's just hard. Um, but with technology and, and more scientists and more money, money is always the underlying cause. Um, they are doing more studies on this. So we should be seeing data on this in the next 10 to 15 years. Um, which will vastly increase um, the quality of care and, and husbandry that elephants and, and other large migratory animals in, um, in zoos. However, there are next to no studies on life expectancy of reptiles and amphibians in zoos versus in the wild. All of these studies seem to be focused on mammals, and I kind of get it. Mammals are usually the favorite um, of zoo goers, but... Reptiles and amphibians matter too, and there I found a single study um, in my research about the life expectancy of reptiles. And this one was over a specific species of reptile um, in zoos versus in the wild, and I found no like broad studies like I did for the mammal study on reptiles or amphibians. So. Um, that's really hard and that is something that we should be uh, focusing on as well because reptiles and amphibians matter too. <laughs> all right, guys, that is all I have for you today. Um, be sure to give me a follow uh, wherever you're listening and a five-star review. I would really, really appreciate it. We are growing surely, slowly but surely. And um, the more we grow, the more episodes I can put out and Ultimately, I want this to be my full-time job, and when that happens, I can post a an episode a week and possibly even launch a Patreon with um, bonus episodes for you guys and bonus content. So um, also check out my blog, Stumble Safari. I post um, new content there every other week as well, alternating weeks with um, this podcast. Give me a follow on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Stumble Safari. And I will see you guys or hear you guys next week. Bye.